brings the message this morning. Yeah, and thank you, Tommy, as we uh, go about doing that. Um, uh, I just want to welcome you to uh, Door of Hope once again. It's great to have you, and um, we're in a series at the moment. We're going to continue uh, in this series called The Secrets We Keep, and uh, this is part two, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to check back online in regards to that, but this message today, I want you to know that it stands on its own, and so if you're there and you're your smart device is available. Feel free to grab that because uh, we've got notes there on the Version app, which is the Bible app. Feel free to do that. Um, if not, that's fine. Grab a notepad, take some notes as we journey along here this morning. And um, we're also going to have some slides that are going to come up on your screens as we speak. But uh, today, part two, uh, I'm talking about the subject, the secrets we keep is the series. The topic today is the topic of comparison. Comparison, because we have a way, don't we, of measuring ourselves, of our performance, our identity, even our value and worth compared to others. And so we have to ask ourselves, where does this begin and does it ever go away? I think it probably begins somewhere at a younger age, maybe school, where we kind of compare ourselves to those who are smart, those who are sporty, those who are cool. We kind of compare ourselves. We're always looking over our shoulder or looking to the left or to the right, trying to figure out, how am I doing? Do I measure up? And of course, as we think about this idea of comparison, in the history of our world, there certainly has never been an easier time to compare. Thanks to the internet, which many of you are connecting with us, which is great, but also thanks to social media. There's never been an easier time in the history of our world. But we've also got to step back and ask the question, this idea of comparing, comparison, is it a bad thing? Well, in some ways, I'm going to say no, it's not. And what I mean by that is this, it's in fact an inevitable part of our learning in life. It's how we figure out certain things in life. What I'm trying to say is that we, in fact, learn from comparing. For example, this box is much bigger than this box. Uh, the cheetah is much faster than a turtle. Um, for example, you can get a better deal at this particular supermarket for toilet paper than you can at this supermarket. It's when I start to compare myself with another person, it's when my ego gets involved. And my ego either takes me to a place of being superior or inferior, but neither honors God. It makes us feel better than or less than, and neither honors God. And so my ego, because of that, starts to whisper to me about certain things like envy and jealousy and what those couple of things do in my life. And in fact, it kills the love that's within 
my life. And so let's give this a bit of a go. If you're home or you're out and about, wherever you might be, let's raise our hands this morning. Let's raise our hands. If you have ever compared yourself to somebody else. Now, I can't see you, but let's, come on, let's, let's, come on. I can see hands going up all around about the place, which is great. If you've ever compared yourself to somebody else's looks, to somebody else's intelligence, to somebody else's grades, career, house, car, kids, spiritual life, Come on, raise your hands. If you've ever compared yourself, I'm also with you. I'm raising my hand as well. I do want you to know this idea of comparing ourselves, it goes way back. In fact, I would say it runs right through the Bible. There are, in fact, several scenes from the beginning of the Bible where there's a whole lot of misery and it's toxic and we, in fact, end up finding that it's a terrible way to live. In fact, at the root of the second sin in the Bible, it, well, let's go to the first sin. What's the first sin? The first sin is disobedience, and that happened in the garden. That was with Adam and Eve who ate the forbidden fruit from the tree. That's the first sin. The second sin that enters our world is that of comparison, and it involves two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was what? Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. And Cain became very angry simply for the offering that Abel gave to the God in which he loved, an offering which he compared. And Cain was mad, not necessarily at himself, because if Abel wasn't around, he's a threat to my life. And so what brother does to brother, what Cain does to Abel, he dehumanizes him because he sees that he's the problem. Long story cut short, and we see the death in the Bible of one brother, and um, he kills his brother. And by the way, this is the very beginning of the Bible, and we can see stories throughout from there on of comparison and envy and jealousy and things like that. We, we think of the story of Joseph, don't we? The envy of his brothers and then all that unfolds there. And I encourage you to have a look at that particular story later on. We see the story of, of Saul, the first king of Israel. The Bible teaches us that he was head and shoulders above every man. This is a unique individual, King Saul. And what King Saul goes and does is he names David as his general. They go out into battle and everything goes extremely well. And they all come back singing that Saul has slayed his, come on, I want to hear you. Saul has slayed his thousands. And David, not Saul, but David, he's what? He's tens of thousands. And so you could imagine King Saul, what that does to his inner world, where he becomes a little bit angry about these songs that they're singing, not about him, but about David. And the Bible teaches us from that moment on that Saul kept a jealous eye on David, a jealous eye. And that's how comparison works, isn't it? That I start to look at you differently, Saul was thinking. I, I don't see you as my brother anymore. I don't see you as the person in whom I love anymore. But I keep a jealous eye on you. I see the person who in fact creates pain within me. 
And so why? Why are you so angry, really, Saul? What? Let's go to the bottom of that. Why are you so angry? Well, first of all, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm afraid that my kingdom will be at risk. By the way, let's just press pause there for a moment because I want to say this. You see, in the kingdom of God with Jesus, nothing precious is ever at risk. But where there's comparison and where there's envy, there will always be fear and there will always be pain. And so Saul, you're the king. Saul, you are the man. You see, if David wins, don't you also win? Yeah, absolutely. And this is what Saul becomes consumed by, this this idea of envy and comparing himself to that of David. And so he goes about trying to kill David. David. The story goes on and we go through the Old Testament. Let's get to the New Testament because the, uh, the Apostle Paul talks to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says this to the church. He says that they're only comparing themselves. What are they doing? They're comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the what? As the standard of measurement. And he goes on and says this. How ignorant. They're comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. What he's kind of saying here is that how ignorant it is to look at their relationship. How ignorant it is to look at how much money that they earn or how much money they are paid. How ignorant it is to look at their marriage or their singleness or their children, how ignorant is, Paul would say to us today, to find yourself comparing. Because where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. I have a mentor, his name's Andy Stanley, from a distance in a way, and he writes about this. It's fascinating, his writings. He called it living in the land of Ur. And he says that if we're not careful, we all want a bigger er. We want to be rich er. We want to be skinny er. We want to stay this way. We want to be smart er. We want to be tall er. We want to be pretty er. We want to be happy er. We want to be talented er. <laughs> I just want some more er. And if I have more er, guess what? I start feeling better about me. I do like you, but I'm er. I'm everything you are plus some er. It's interesting though when you go and start dating, when this kind of kicks in where you want your boyfriend and your girlfriend to have some er. You want him to be rich Uh, You want her to be happy. Uh, And by the way, she might be happier if she wasn't with you. But that's another story. You want him to be handsome. Uh, I hope you're laughing out there. (laughs) And then, of course, you go from boyfriend, girlfriend to getting married. And you want lots of uh with your spouse. And the problem is, it's not even about your spouse. It's about you. It's what people are thinking about you. 
And let's say you go and have some children and you start erring them as well. Maybe in their schooling or in their grades or in their sport or in their awards. You start erring your children once again. It's not about your children. What you are actually doing is comparing yourself to others. Now, we won't admit this, but let's be honest just for a moment if we could. But in fact, some of us would go as far as saying that we, in fact, deep down, we love it when a friend or someone that we know mucks up in life. When something maybe bad happens to someone that we, in fact, care about. You know what it's like when we get that message or we read something online that something pretty bad has happened to them and something in you feels good about that. Let's just name this just for a moment if we could. Come on. It's a little ugly, isn't it? In fact, it's a little evil. I'm going to go one step further and say let's just name it as it is. It is, in fact, a sin. And I'm just going to speak there just for a moment because I think it's the ugliest part, is it not? It's the ugliest part of a human spirit. Now I'm going to go one step further. It's the ugliest part of me. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing, and it's this, that you can't genuinely love someone that you secretly hope fails. You can't genuinely love someone that you secretly hope fails. In other words, you cannot be a sincere follower of Jesus. And once again, I'm going to name this. This is a deep spiritual issue that has to be addressed in the most appropriate way and time, of course. And so, I'm going to finish this little part and say, let's together knock it off. Let's, let's just stop it. Let's do maybe what the Bible teaches us, and that is to what? To rejoice with those who rejoice, and also to weep with those who weep. And of course, there's another side to this, in fact, that we do have a little more err than them. That they are heavy-er, or they are slow-er, or they are tall-er, or poor-er, or nerdy-er. The list goes on. Let's keep this going just for a moment, because there's another subcategory to this. Because we're not happy with er at all. Andy would write, and he would say that we, in fact, want est. That I don't want to be richer, I want to be rich Est, I want to be smart. Est, I want to be happy. Est, I want to be healthy. Est, I want to be in a category all by myself so people can compare themselves to me. And so we have to ask this question, don't we? Why? Why do we go there? What's this all about? Why, what in us makes us think like that? Can I have a stab? Can I have a stab at that? I think it might go a little bit like this because it comes down to our sin nature. It comes down to that place in our lives that takes us from the heart of a creator, God. And it puts us onto ourselves. Exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. We want to go our way. We want to do our thing. Same what happened to Cain. Same what happened to Saul, etc., etc. We're trying to find some external win to satisfy that, inter that internal longing. 
But I'm going to say this morning, there is no external accomplishment. There is no external blessing or relationship or amount of money or satisfaction that ever quenches that inner spiritual longing that we have. And so we go about wanting more er, and we want to be the est. But there's not enough er, and there's not enough est in the world to satisfy the spiritual brokenness that's with inside of us. And so you can't have enough money, you can't get enough likes, there's not enough followers, there's not enough attention, there's never a right relationship, and there's not a good enough house, there seems. There's nothing on the outside of us to satisfy what's inside, apart from, apart from the God in whom you and I have been created by. What does comparison do? Comparison makes us feel superior or inferior, and neither honors God. There's no external win that will ever satisfy that internal longing we have. And that's why we look to the left, we look to the right, we start looking over the shoulder. Am I worthy? Am I good enough? Do I belong? Am I popular enough? Do I finally matter? Do I fit in what I'm wearing now? Is it cool enough? Do I live up to your expectations? And once again, we have to sit back and ask that question, why? What's going on in our hearts, in our lives, to come to a place that we think like that? Constantly trying to determine, am I okay? Do I measure up in this world? By the way, it's in fact not his fault that he's richer. It's not her fault that she may be smarter or taller. It's not their fault because their children are well behaved. What we actually do in an instant like that is that we start to look in the mirror and we don't necessarily like what we see, that we're not measuring up to the you fill in the space. We're not measuring up to their happiness. We're not measuring up to how much money they have. We're not measuring up to how they look how they live, what they drive. And so we're looking in the mirror, and what do we do? The bottom line is this. It comes down to this, and it's from Scripture. It's from the Bible itself. And we're going to open this passage here. That there is no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. There's no finish line. There's no sense of satisfaction. So what do we do? Let's open the Bible. And I know it's going to bring us help this morning in regards to this particular subject. We're going to look in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorite books. And then Proverbs is the book just before it. And you've got this character by the name of Solomon, King Solomon. And um, um, this book... um, Um, is a sad sequel. The book of Ecclesiastes is a sad kind of sequel to the book of Proverbs. Um, The the book of Proverbs, of course, are the wise sayings of Solomon about living godly and um, peaceful lives. And then we come to the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon laments the fact that he played the fool and that he failed to take his own advice. And so Solomon, let me introduce you to King Solomon just for a moment because he's a character who's extremely hard to keep up with, but he did more than 
um, you and I will ever do in this lifetime. King Solomon uh, was well respected. He was, a wise, he was the wisest man in his time to ever have lived. Uh, he was the wealthiest man in his time. Uh, in fact, we're told in Scripture that kings and queens would come and sit at his feet and ask him for wisdom. And this is what Solomon does in his passage we're about to unfold, that he looks at the world and addresses this issue of comparison. We pick it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4 from the NIV, and it says this, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. And I saw that all toil... And all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. What Solomon's saying here is, I've been watching people. I've been a student of human behavior. And this is where I've landed. You see, what drives people is competition. What drives people is comparison. Always looking over the shoulder. Driven by what? They see people around them doing. Let's just press pause there for a moment because let's remember, when was this written? This was written 3,000 years ago. This has been happening a long time. 3,000 years ago this was written and um, it's been going on. Can I just summarize Solomon's observation here just for a moment? And it's this, it's come up on your screen that Solomon saw people determining where they were based on where everyone else was. One more time. Solomon saw people determining where they were based on where everyone else was. Don't know if I meant to laugh. Don't know if I meant to agree. I don't think I need to say much more about that. I think you guess where I'm coming from with that. But let's summarize here. Let's, I think his summary here uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4, and he says this, that, that this too, this too is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. This looking to the left, looking to the right is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. But you can't, chase, you can't catch the wind exactly. You can't catch the wind. And that is Solomon's point. There's no finish line. There's no peace. Um, Steve, are you saying that you're actually meant to sit on your hands? In fact, no, I'm not. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 5 says, Fools, this is Solomon, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Ambitious, ha, I'm Solomon. Have you seen my temple? Ha, ambitious, have you seen my gardens? I'm Solomon. Have you seen my wives and concubines? I'm Solomon. I'm a busy guy. I've been around. There is a lot going on. Only fools, Solomon would say, would fold their hands and do nothing. He goes on in this story and says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You see, there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. I love this. The Hebrew imagery of this is very, very rich because he's saying it's better to have one hand open for whatever God chooses to put in that hand or take out of it, by the way, and, then, and to only have 
what one hand can hold than to have two fists clenched, hanging on to everything that you've got. Because if you live like this, there'll never be that peace. It'll always be, a, as Solomon puts it, a chasing after the wind, and you can never catch it. And this is where Solomon landed. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He goes on and tells this, this, this last little story in verse 7 to 8, and we're not quite sure if it's, if it's about a friend or if it's a parable, if it's a story of some sorts, but he says this, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Here's the story. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? In other words, he's saying this. Why is it? Why is it? I can't stop and enjoy that for which I've worked so hard for. What am I doing? Why am I doing that? He would finish off by saying, I like this, this too is meaningless. A miserable business. What he's saying is that as long as you are trying to always have Two handfuls, doesn't matter what's in the hand, what you accomplish or how smart you are, as long as your mindset is like this, it's miserable. It's a miserable business and you will never enjoy your life. The bottom line, what Solomon is saying, is that there is no win in comparing. No win. And so this morning, can I encourage us, to go from this to this. And I asked this this morning, how does that affect us in life? How does that have an impact on business? How does that affect us in our family? But also, as we go about this, as Solomon encourages us, how does this go in our spiritual walk our relationship with Creator God. Because Solomon says that if you're going to look to your left, if you're going to look to your right, or over your shoulder, and have those two clenched fists, if you aren't careful, if you aren't careful, you're going to be miserable. And it's a chasing after the wind. Here's what's happening. And let me wrap up by saying this, if I could, that all of us, if we're honest enough, they're either using something or somebody to determine how we really are doing in life. And my question to you this morning, to us, to me, is to who or what is going to define your worth? Who or what is going to define your worth? Family? 
your boss, your industry, your grades, your look, your children, what you drive. The list goes on, doesn't it? Because in such a challenging time as this, now is a timely reminder to place your worth in the one who created you. Personally speaking, just for a moment, if I could, I've made this decision. I have made my decision that the God who loved me, the loved us so much, the one who sent his one and only son, Jesus, will define my worth. That is who he created me to be. That is the race he called me to run, that I have a purpose to fulfill, that I've got a mission to accomplish. I've got people to love. I've got a family to raise. I've got a church to help build. This is my race. I can't win anyone else's race, but I can run my race. You may not build the biggest business, but you'll always deal with integrity. That's winning your race. You may not have the biggest house on the street, but you'll have time for your children. That's winning your race. You may not have the biggest public ministry in the life of the church, but you show up week in and you show up week out faithful and people's lives because of your faithfulness are in, eternally impacted. That is winning your race. When all your friends are out partying or earning an income of sorts and you're doing your best just to get through school, that's winning your race. But here's what we all now know, thanks to Solomon. And it's this. There's no win. There's no win in comparison.